you always have to look on return on investment. So it's expensive. <laughs> it, it costs money to, to operate in several languages. Is it worth it for you? Welcome to The Executives, the show where we navigate in the intricate world of executive leadership, exploring strategies, insights, and personal stories of successful professionals, shaping the global business landscape. I'm your host, Majid, and today we have an amazing guest with us, Kruchi. He is a marketing maven with a decade of experience in leading startup teams, specializing in fintech innovation. She's making waves as the head of marketing at PastPay transforming the BNPL landscape for B2B transactions. Besides her role at Fastway, she is also consult startups for adding their success and growth. Well, hello and welcome to the show, show Fruchi. Hello, and thank you for having me today. Awesome. Can you kindly introduce yourself? I just said a few words about you. Of course. So for the past decade, I've been working with several tech startups, uh, mainly in the Hungarian startup scene, but also across Europe. And uh, I chose the role of being on the marketing side of this project. So I'm mainly responsible for introducing new innovation into the market and making sure that that the innovation is applied. Uh, I'm mainly dealing with uh, customers who are er early adopters of technologies. So I have to communicate and come up with communication that targets and convinces people in their decision-making process to adopt some new innovation, some new innovative way of, of uh, using a product or some new business model that, uh, that the product owners or the CEOs come up with. So it's a really exciting role and it's very challenging at the same time. Interesting. Interesting. It's, uh, I was when I was creating the topic for you, I was thinking it needs to be something that can actually tell people that how do you revolutionize something, you know, so and you're from fintech. Fintech is a very special domain. It's not like uh, SaaS or any other business. It's uh, it's a very special niche because I have also worked in fintech. And our topic of discussion today is revolutionizing fintech marketing. Fruchi's journey in building innovative marketing strategies in the digital age, especially considering we are now living with ChatGPT. And without further ado, let's jump right into the questions. I'm really excited, by the way. <laughs> okay, so let's. the first question I have is, can you describe your journey into the fintech marketing and what was the inspiration that moved you to, to particularly choose this field? Of course. So I went to a private university in Milano, Italy, and there it, the, most of the studies were focused on economics, finance, management, uh, with a bit of legal studies. So finance was a very obvious path for all of us, um, as even the university had corporations with major um, financial firms such as the big four. And so finance was very the core of what we were studying. But also we had great teachers. For example, one of my marketing professors came from Stanford and whatever he was teaching us was extremely interesting. We also had entrepreneurship classes with Google, for example. So, you know, the entire environment was, was this direction. And uh, throughout the university, I was already really interested in innovation. I was a student ambassador of one of the biggest um, Hungarian startups called Prezi. I don't know if you're familiar with it, the Zooming presentation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they were really successful back then. 
And uh, we were also organizing TEDx conferences, which is basically about new ideas and innovative ideas. So everything was around innovation and, and uh, growth. And as I returned to my home city, um, actually the reason for returning was that I got offered the job by a marketing technology startup here. And back then the startup scene was quite new, but it was really exciting. But I remember that my biggest um, motivation was the unlimited holidays. <laughs> Jokes on me because we know what that means in tech. So it means that you're responsible for yourself and you don't go on that much holidays eventually. So I wanted to work in this uh, flexible, innovative, fast-paced environment. So I came back to Budapest and um, and back then the, the community was just buzzing here. And um, actually we were working in a co-working office. The name was Mosaic and some, you know, it was tiny startups, one, two people, just founders sitting there. Looking back, it's really interesting that these startups are achieving unicorn status by now. So one of them was a security startup called Sound. So they are, they are also very famous in the fintech industry because, uh, you know, security is a very important thing uh, in fintech. So they, they started off from there, but also a couple of other startups were sitting there in that building all together. And, um, you know, looking back, it's just really interesting to think that that's where it all started. And since then, the local um, <clears throat> startup scene has really improved. Uh, there are way more successes than, than back then. And um, during this time, one, two years after returning, uh, actually, I got invited by a dear friend um, to an accelerator program to join as a marketer. Uh, this is an accelerator program organized by one of the biggest banks in Hungary. And what the bank was doing is that they um, looked for innovation in the market. They selected innovation that they thought would fit their operations. They took the startups in, uh, they gave them funding, they gave them resources, and they helped them to scale and build a very well working product uh, that then they could implement into the bank's um, operations. So there is this so-called build or buy dilemma uh, in the life of banks. And so they, they decided to buy innovation, mm. not, not build it themselves. And honestly, one of the other big banks in Hungary, they decided to build. Um, and I saw that the buy strategy was working much better. So mm -hmm. like implementing innovation from the market, getting the most innovative, innovative founders sitting in your HQ was, was a really good strategy that was working really well. So this is how I, I started being specialized in fintech, being with these startups being around them and um, it's also a small community here so i knew a lot of people there already uh, and actually one of them uh, benjamin who is the ceo of PastPay right now and even back then but the company had a different name back then he approached me and asked me if he could sit down for a coffee and talk so he had this idea of um, innovating one part of the financing infrastructure for business to business transactions which is invoice factoring. Mm -hmm. and that was really interesting because invoice factoring as a financing method was like unknown in Hungary. Uh, actually, we did a study and only 1% of the companies knew what it actually was. Uh, about 10% of them gave the wrong answer to what it was <laughs> and, uh, and they just didn't know. So the only financing familiar to companies was 
uh, loans. But loans are a very big commitment for a small mm. company or for SMEs. So they didn't really know any other. So companies here and SMEs here didn't really know any other way of uh, uh, getting financing. And it was a very interesting challenge as a marketer when I joined the past pay back then, because I had to um, teach the market what <laughs> invoice factoring was and uh, what digital invoice factoring was because invoice factoring traditionally is a very thefty process it's really heavy it's a lot of paperwork it's very difficult to get approved and the fact that you could just go on a website fill out your data um, sign a contract and get financing with the click of a button was really new it was so new that uh, finance is a very trust-based market and they you know, we had to build trust that this works, <laughs> that this is mm -hmm. not a not a scam or that they don't sign something uh, tricky. So we had to create a lot of reliability and a lot of trust in the market. So that's how I got into into working with PassPay. And I think the other very interesting thing is that back then during this accelerator uh, project, uh, the big trend was blockchain. So there were a lot of blockchain startups and the entire industry was really focused on that. But I think that there was a fallback during the pandemic. I assume partly because uh, investors were not as motivated to invest anymore and blockchain projects typically require very high investment. Uh, but I also think that it's because of the regulation uh, as regulations are becoming stricter about blockchain and the entire technology and cryptocurrencies. Um, I, I see a fallback now. So back then there was a huge buzz. And, and right now I think what's taking over is uh, open banking. And uh, due to the PSD2 regulation of the European Union, that's a very, very interesting field. And also the AI, of course. So I think that's, that's how it evolved and that's how it changed since I joined. And, and I think all over, it's a really, really inspiring field to be in because mm -hmm. we use money every day and, and that's one of the core um, elements of society. So so the innovation and looking at all the innovation that's happening around here is, is very, very uh, exciting. Interesting, interesting. Um, I remember when we built a system for factoring companies uh, because buy now, pay later is not a new concept in Germany. It's there for ages, you know. Ge I think Germans exactly. are the first ones who actually started this whole BNPL uh, thing and they're super okay with it. Like H&M, you buy it quickly, you you get a yes or a no. And on the B2B side, it's it's a little bit more complex. Uh, I, I don't know how complex is it in Hungary, but uh, they check the company, the business, you know, and then the device and then identity verification and so on. You know, it, it sounds like a very long process. But if you're a private uh, GmbH or a private limited in Germany, and if you have been existing for more than two years, you mm -hmm. would be pretty much accepted by a lot of factors, you know, if mm -hmm. you have good credibility. But if you're uh, trying to scam people, then no. <laughs> <laughs> so but it's 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 a fintech is a very nice field like i when i joined Criff, i was i had no idea that uh, fintech is something so cool that you're actually uh, whenever someone asked me hey why, why did you join fintech it's something you're not you're an engineer i'm like yeah but after working in fintech i said i would work again in fintech for the reason <laughs> of the power of the solution that we built it was actually we were b2 b2c right b2 b2c 
Yes. So we provided data for customers and making sure that no identity theft or credit theft or fraud mm -hmm. happened with the customers. And what happened, we were protecting the people. So it's actually you're, you're saving money theft, basically, which is something I really like. You know, I was like, when I joined, I didn't know it that, that much that what, what is actually happening in the, in the thing. But when I kept working there, I realized it's amazing. And now you mentioned that when did you join PastPay? About four years ago. So I was one of the first uh, team members. The yeah. other day we, we made a check like uh, who is uh, in the company for how long. And so there are the two founders, one of our software engineers, and then I am the fourth in line <laughs> right so, now. So, <laughs> so you have the number four then, employee number yes, four. Yes, I am like, number like... four. <laughs> Obviously okay. we had, you know, we had more team members. Um, we had some changes, but uh, right now, in the line I'm number four. So I joined pretty early on mm -hmm. when the company was still very small. Um, and it's amazing to see, uh, you know, how the founders achieved the stable success. I think it's very rare. I've seen a lot of startups fail. I've seen a lot of founders pulling irresponsible moves and all the respect to the, to the founders of Passpay, they have been building this company with utmost professionalism. So, that's why that's I actually nice. really like to work with them. <laughs> no, that's very good. That's very good. Um, that's, uh, I mean, it's hard to have good founders and because I've always seen startups get money and what they do is like blitz hiring, blitz firing, you know, so they will hire like this and then they will, when investors say, no, we cannot give you the money now. So they will fire the next day. Yeah, I have seen that that has happened a lot recently, like US, Germany. I don't know how stable is the Hungarian startup scene, but at least in Germany, <laughs> there's a lot of firing going on. Like, and <laughs> with some companies i feel they're just fighting to get on the trend you know like like it's like a trend on tiktok where uh, you know someone makes uh, a viral trend and companies are doing the same hey that company fired so maybe we should also hop on the trend like because i know some companies what they did is like they fired people from roles the performance was excellent excellent you know but then they started hiring again for the same role so they fired a person for five years in the company yeah. and then they wanted to hire someone else on the same position to manage the same people so it was it was crazy for me but fintech is special fintech is not like any any SaaS or uh, it's it's much different and that's the most <laughs> beautiful thing about about fintech industry you know but and which, which is what brings me to the second question which is what were your key challenges when transforming marketing operations in fintech companies like for example past pay or <laughs> pentech is that yeah. how you say the so, name? Paintech was the project name. That was the name of the Hungarian company. It basically means financial technology, um, but it also means Friday <laughs> in Hungarian. So there were a lot of jokes made about, uh, about that name. But when we decided to go international, of course, we had to find a name that is more related to payments and more related to uh, to something international. So uh, Pentech, uh, sometimes they read it as Pentech, like Pan technology. Um, so anyway, we changed the name, but so the company name was Pentech before now it's past pay when we pivoted the idea. And so referring back to the challenges, actually you mentioned a very key point with human resources. So especially in CEE, I think it's very hard to find talent. And that is, that is because on one hand, the lack of education, 
but I think it's also a little bit connected to finances. So what I see is that companies don't want to educate juniors. And honestly, marketing is something that you learn on the job. So there will be no super professor who's going to show you how to uh, <laughs> click on Google ads in a university. And marketing is a very quickly changing field. So uh, I always say that as a marketing leader, you have to be a teacher and a student at the same time. So sometimes I just block two days in my calendar and I do a course because I need to, um, you know, stay in contact and I need to understand what's new. And then I have to teach it to the, to the people who work with me. And uh, sometimes that means that, you know, with sales or with the product team, we teach each other things, new things. For example, I just had to learn how to scrape data from websites. And that's not a very typical marketing thing. That's more like coding and engineering, but, but I just had to learn that I had to learn HTML and CSS. There is no way you do marketing without that. Um, so you have to know a lot of things, nothing, you know, we say the T-shaped marketer, because you have to know in order to be a marketing manager, you have to know a little bit of each field mm -hmm. and be specialized in one field. Uh, actually my initial specialization was at CEO and content marketing. Um, and then I, I just learned more. <laughs> So I would say that finding talent is very difficult uh, because there is a lot to know. And even if you go to a university, professors put together the curriculum at the beginning of the year, but by the end of the year, everything has changed, you know? So by the time they teach you what's approved, um, the whole thing turns upside down. I think it's very important to pay attention to thought leaders in the industry. So there are a lot of marketing influencers spending their their special uh, precious time uh, creating content for the industry. And I think they're really, really good uh, courses done by them. So mm -hmm. there are a couple of, um, you know, influencers and courses that are worth paying attention to. And uh, also I think people need to learn on the job. Um, so when we, when we have interns and when we have juniors, um, uh, we always teach them and I already have a little package put together. <laughs> I just send them a couple of courses when they start like in your first two weeks, please do this, please read it. And then we talk about it, come with questions, please. And then I'm going to show you how to do it in practice because there is the theory and then there is the practice. Um, and also they really need to learn to understand the customers mm -hmm. uh, because basically B2B marketing and FinTech marketing is um, helping customers through a decision-making process. Um, so you really need to understand what they need. And I think that's a mindset that you need to pick up and no university can really teach you that. Mm -hmm. So when we, we were looking for talent and we were looking for marketing talent, it was very hard to find mediators or seniors and the very professional seniors are usually freelancing. Uh, so they have multiple companies. Um, actually that's what I do as well. So I'm, I'm working with PassPay, but on the side. I'm also helping uh, other startups with consultancy and some advice for growth because, um, you know, their learning curve becomes exponential when they put someone senior as an advisor into their process, mm -hmm. because something that they will have to experience over the years, someone can just come in and tell them, do this because this is what's going to work and that is not going to work. So don't do that. Um, so finding talent is very hard and I really believe in um, you know, uh, hiring for skill and, and skill set and personality, and then, um, helping, uh, this person to, 
to evolve and learn and, and becoming a very professional marketer. And I think that really worked for our company so far. Actually, most of our interns stayed for at least two years. <laughs> so we hired them for three months and, and they just wanted to stick around. Mm. Um, so I, I count that as a very big success, honestly, because even these interns were abroad <laughs> and even remotely, they wanted to work for us. Um, so f finding talent is very tough right now because universities don't teach the new things. Um, and I think companies just don't have the patience to hire juniors and educate them, especially multinational big firms. They, mm -hmm. they always want to see some experience on your CV. And I also think that talents have very hard time to get started. So I was even considering doing some kind of course or <laughs> online school. But uh, for example, there are really good examples in the Netherlands where they started a platform. It's called Growth Tribe. And you can sign up for, I think, maybe about 100 euros a month. And you can do a lot of courses. And they put together this very innovative, really good content. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say if someone is doing that, uh, I know what they know. They, they know the most up-to-date knowledge. So, But that's not a university. So when you go to traditional schools, it's very hard to pick up this kind of uh, knowledge. And I would say the second um, main challenging thing is when you're a small company and you're in fintech and you want to convince people to use a new solution, you have to be really credible and really trustworthy. But how do you do that with three people in your office uh, not having any, you know, most financial companies have decades of history uh, and decades of success. And so how do you do that as a tiny company? Uh, I think that was also very challenging, uh, but uh, what worked really well for us is that we looked back at traditional ways of marketing. So we were building partnerships, we were building networks, uh, we were joining programs such as the accelerator program of a big bank. It gives you a lot of credibility um, and also, um, you know, talking a lot with the media and, and just sharing all the success stories that we had. So you know, client testimonials, also nailing big clients. So having like celebrity clients, big brands that are willing to work with you, um, just communicate it. Um, I think that's that's what helped us to get through this. And also we tried to get all the legal confirmation. We were approved by the National Bank. Uh, we got all the licenses that we needed and we put this in the forefront of our communication to show that that we are legit. We are just not a small company trying to mm -hmm. uh, move money here and there. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that also a big challenge is the diversity of the European Union market. So there are many languages, many ways of doing business. It's not like you can cover uh, the area with just one way of like versus the United States where everyone speaking speaks English and the ways of doing business are more or less the same. Here, every country in the European Union has a different legislation, different financial systems. So, for example, what was really easy in Hungary is that we have a company ledger that's public. So if you look for a tax number or if you look for a company's name, you're going to get a bunch of data with just one search. So it's, uh, it's very easy to build on this uh, data availability. But that's not the case in every European Union country. And you have to find other ways of reaching companies and reaching the market because the database uh, is not there. So you have to build your own database. So this was something, for example, that we faced uh, that for each market, we had to come up with different strategies of, uh, of building lead lists. 
And again, one challenge that we also faced is what I, I uh, mentioned at the beginning is that the awareness in the market. Um, but we also had to focus on, do we want to educate the entire market? Because I think many innovative companies do the mistake that they come up with an innovation, they introduce it to the market and they try to create content that's for everyone, absolutely from A to Z, beginning to mm -hmm. the end. And I think what made us kind of win in the market, even against competitors who were present for decades, is that uh, we chose a very small niche and a very specific awareness level that we wanted to focus on. So we were focusing on clients and companies who already had problem solution awareness, but they were not aware of our brand yet. So they already knew what digital invoice factoring was. They knew what invoice factoring was. They just didn't like the way it went before because it was very uh, long paperwork and you had to agree to a factoring limit. So you had to factor, you know, like a, an amount of invoices every year. And if you didn't do that, then you had a breach of contract with the bank. So we just listened to the objections of this very specific problem of our niche. And we said, okay, we will fix that. And instead of, um, you know, making them commit to uh, a certain limit of invoice factoring, we said, it's okay, you can invoice uh, or uh, factor invoices one by one. So you don't have to agree to a limit that you, you process with us every year. We are going to do your process or your transactions one by one. And that was something that they really liked. So we just had mm -hmm. to like, it's not that you have to fo uh, choose a niche uh, of uh, an industry. You even have to focus on the awareness that they have. And even with this, um, with this niche, we could create a lot of content and there was a lot that we could say to them. Uh, mm -hmm. But we realized that our, our transactions and our business was going much better than our competitor. And I think there was even a point when our competitor asked how. <laughs> Uh, how do we do that? And then I was looking at their ads and what I realized is that they are shooting for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's a specific industry. It's a niche, but they, they targeted everyone. They didn't think in terms of, okay, actually, do we want to deal with businesses who don't even know what factoring is? Is it my job? Is mm -hmm. it, should I spend my time and my resources to teach them from zero? Or am I just going to start with the people who already know where I have an easier job? And once the word spreads and I have more credibility, it's also easier to convince the people who are not problem aware yet. And, and this made us win. So <laughs> we, were, we were really strong in the, and we are still very strong in the Hungarian market. Um, and this is something that now we apply. So we also don't want to deal with companies that are failing financially. We are dealing with growing companies because um, companies that are failing financially, even if they involve financing that's a very risky business for us and maybe when one day we are really big we can come up with a, a solution for them as well but for now we had to choose this very specific uh, niche of clients uh, that we wanted to focus on and uh, i see it with a lot of founders when i talk to them they're like yeah i can do this but i can also do that and i can do this and they just list a couple of things that they imagine they imagine like a giant product and that never works. Then you fall apart, your resources fall apart, and eventually your financing falls apart. Um, so you like the niche, you know, it's quite a cliche to say that like you should focus on a niche, mm -hmm. but it's true. And you should define it as well as you can. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So two questions. One, uh, how many employees does Passpay have now? How big is it? 
Well, that's a tricky question. I would have to count because there were just new people joining, but we are about 20 people. Oh, that's that's a good size company. That's a yeah. good size. And uh, do you only operate in Hungary or other? No, currently we can serve any uh, transaction in the European Union. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. In because... 11 currencies, yeah. Ah, interesting. Because I remember when uh, we were working with open banking, mm-hmm. we couldn't take the model from Germany to Austria, even though the languages are the same. Mm-hmm. It was it was very hard for us to take the same thing and say, hey, you know what, we are going to give it to an Austrian customer. We had to recreate again some a strategy for the Austrian customer. So mm-hmm. I understand. And the, and the problem is the market is it's 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 okay, but it's not as big as US. You know, so one country, there might be some regulations on a state level, but the the federal regulations stay the same for US, right? So interesting. Yes. Very, very nice. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, there is product level and there is marketing level. On the product level, this challenge is gapped. So we can serve everyone in the European Union because Mm -hmm. of the currencies. So we have to implement currencies. Um, Also, we have a customer evaluation uh, algorithm. So when there is a uh, um, web shop and they're selling B2B business to business and their business customer comes in they for example let's say this is an online web shop uh, they come on the website they click through the order they want to pay then our payment solution comes up as an option and when they click on that they just have to put some data about themselves and our algorithm automatically evaluates them within two seconds this is very innovative because it was this evaluation took a long time for a bank and a lot of paperwork to get a client approved and now you can just click on it two seconds um it's because we have a risk algorithm and and we built our own um intelligent algorithms for this and and you know that's the innovation in it that's the smart thinking uh by our software developers and and risk team so that's that's um that's why we could gap uh this issue of spreading the product in europe um, but open banking is also a part of it. So obviously, you know, calling the, uh, looking into the bank data of businesses and um, under the understanding how they spend, it helps us to evaluate customers. Um, so on the product level, that's covered. On the marketing level, I have to say, just like I mentioned, that even building lead lists is very different in every country. So we have a country manager or someone responsible for our main areas um for example poland is a really big market slovakia czech republic romania italy we have uh you know responsible people in the team who are who are dealing only with mar- market and they cooperate with me uh, we cooperate on strategies and we cooperate on tactics that we can use in each market in each market the communication is a little bit different and also mm-hmm. the awareness of the customers and the technological advancement of customers is different. For example, in Hungary, no one is on LinkedIn. Um, so if you would want to reach out on LinkedIn, well, good luck. <laughs> uh, so you have to reach out in emails. Um, but the first thing that they ask from us when we talk to clients in Hungary is what's the uh, pricing because it's a payment solution. So they would want to know the pricing of mm-hmm. it. Uh, when you go to Poland, it might be different. So there might be a different issue that you might need to answer different questions in Poland. Uh, you know, the structure of companies uh, depends on the taxation system of a country. It depends on the legislation of the country. It depends on the bureaucracy of the country. So so the way of doing business is different and therefore you need to adapt. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And 
because now you mentioned uh, that you the way you work with uh, for example a country manager but you might have noticed that uh, b2b marketing in fintech it's different you know across borders so what what makes it different in your opinion is it the language or regulations or what what's the reason behind that there are differences a mix of that so mm-hmm. obviously different languages so for example um in a lot of european markets uh if you do finance, they, you want them to trust you. You have to talk to them in their own language. And this is a very big challenge marketing-wise because we need to operate a website in several languages and we need to make sure that it's spotless. It's, you know, it's perfect in every language because it's finance. There is not a lot of space for typos and mistakes. Um, so that's very challenging to you know, have to operate the content in many, many languages. That's a very big resource. I've seen a lot of companies actually deciding to just communicate in English and not have transfer translations. Um, but I would say they're a little bit in different industries, but that's what I see with globalization right now is that, you know, there used to be this like uh, global Facebook page and then you could have a page for each country. If you were a company big enough, back then Facebook would give you a local page for each of your languages. That's mainly gone as well. So. So now everyone just decides to communicate in English. We are still sticking to local communication because of the ways of doing business and and because we want them to trust us. Uh, And obviously because our country managers in Poland communicate with the Polish community in Polish or in Hungary, we communicate in Hungarian. And also what we see is that a lot of leaders in SMEs are uh, middle-aged, so in their 40s, 50s, and they don't speak English well enough. Unfortunately, especially when it comes to communicating about uh, finance (laughs) and when it comes to communicating about, you know, taking financing from us or when it comes to communicating about the legal, um, then then we have to do it in the local language. Also because Mm -hmm. of the legislation, obviously, if there is a court case, they require either official translations, which becomes very um, expensive uh, or, you know, in the local language. So I would say that the nature of the business requires localization, but I see a lot of companies just going for English (laughs) Mm. as their main language. I guess it depends on what you are doing. Um, It depends on what you need to do. But I have to say that operating uh, a website in five languages is, it requires a marketing team. I mean, if, if you're, uh, if your product is that big that you're operating in five languages, if let's say German, uh, Hungarian, uh, Dutch and let's say French. So German means you are covering part of Switzerland, Austria, and Germany, the entire Germany. So it becomes becomes a big market, right? Yeah, I also think it's, you always have to look on return on investment. So Hmm. it's expensive. (laughs) It is. It It costs money to to operate in several Hmm. languages. Is it worth it for you? Hmm. So are you gonna do more business because, because you have several languages or it's just a nice to have? I think mm-hmm. that's how you need to look at it as a marketer. For us, we we can see that it's return on investment to to put this uh, and not just the I would say not just you know the financial part, but also human resources that eventually mean financial resources. Um, you have to evaluate your ROI. I would say in marketing, it's very important that as a marketing leader, in every decision, you say let's see that if I take this step, is it going to bring more money or is it going to burn money? Um, just, just be profitable with your marketing. It's very, very important. 
Yep, that's true. And whenever I'm talking with marketing people, uh, the tech people are complaining, hey, why does marketing have this, have this, have this? I'm like, no, marketing. The thing is, you can have a brilliant product, but if there is no marketing team, the product can be put in a in a drawer in inside my office and we can close the drawer because no one will know about that, that this product even exists. And the same goes for marketing. If marketing is the best marketing team you have, but they don't have a product to sell, they will be selling nothing. They will just be making some facts up. So it, everyone has to be there. And then uh, it's because some people are complaining, you know, that, hey, why do we need this? Why do we need this? But for me, I, I say that we do need marketing. It's very important. We do need legal, especially in fintech, because if you do something wrong in fintech, the, the cost of fixing something, it's massive. Uh, you're, you're, it might be even more than the company's revenue. Uh, like some years ago, there was a bank, uh, I think, N26 that had to pay money to the German regulators because of they did something wrong. Uh, so it, it was a massive fine. Yeah. And so uh, cool. And because now we are talking about I'm sorry, just I remember the startup. What was their name? It was also a, uh, it was like a MasterCard and Visa. It was a German startup. Wirecard. Wirecard. Wirecard, yeah. So they impacted 30% of the German economy when they failed. That was mm -hmm. insane. So yeah, yeah, it's a really big responsibility what you are doing mm -hmm. in fintech. And it's it also then, it's like a chain, right? Like when I was, I was, when I was sitting in COVID, I was like, people need to understand that if I run an e-commerce store, right? And for example, I've integrated Stripe. Uh, if no one is coming to my shop or if someone has lost their job, they're not going to come to my shop to buy the wishes they have. That means I don't make money. And if I don't make money, Stripe doesn't make any money. And if Stripe is buying data from you, for example, you don't make any money because the whole chain has like a loop, you know, like it's all connected and there's no one making money. So which is affecting not one company, but it affects like an entire chain. This is what I noticed in COVID. It was, it was, that's why we are still suffering from the whole issues, right? Actually, that's what we are always saying that, you know, financing is important because it will cost you a small percentage of your revenue, but at the same time, it's making you more liquid. It's making your customer more liquid because essentially what we do is we pay the merchant instantly upon fulfillment of orders. And the customer can pay 60, 90 days later. Mm -hmm. So everyone pays on their own terms. That means that the merchant can uh, instantly use the capital. They don't need to finance their customers. They don't need to give loans to their customers. They don't need to give, uh, what we have seen is that they would give uh, discounts for early payment of invoices. Uh, that means that basically the merchant is using some of their money to um, encourage the customer to pay. <laughs> So we, we are always saying, like, don't finance your customer, use financing. Uh, it will cost you much less than, you know, allocating your capital to the customer mm -hmm. instead of using your capital on your own to grow, because then you can have more customers. You can produce more with the money that's there instantly. So money and time matters. And if you allocate your money somewhere else for 30 to 60 days, then your liquidity is that. And um, the other thing is that uh, for the customer to be able to pay on their own terms, imagine you buy some products and uh, you don't have to pay for them instantly. So by the time you pay for the product, you might have already produced profit on it. And then you can pay back from the profit. You don't have to go to minus. You can make sure that whatever you buy, you can pay for it uh, because of the time frame. So that's very important in terms of liquidity. 
Of course, that's why we have to evaluate the customer and that's why we have to evaluate the companies that we work with. And that's why we have to have a risk model because there could be fraud in this system, but we already have measures in place to make sure that it doesn't happen and the risk stays within the risk model. So that's that's already very innovative in terms of business. Mm -hmm. It's something that banks have been doing, but you know, because of the financial crisis, and even if you look at the story of Klarna, so what happened to Klarna last year is that they, um, that's a B2C BMPL, right? Like that's the mm -hmm. consumer BMPL. And they had a huge scandal about like, uh, you know, giving out a lot of microcredits uh, to end consumers and not being careful enough. And, you know, people were already traumatized by 2008 and the financial crisis. So when they saw Klarna give it out, giving out, I wouldn't say bad loans, but assumably lower quality loans, everyone freaked out. But if you really looked at the valuation of Klarna, it still increased. So <laughs> it dropped because it was a huge hype. It was, you know, sometimes people call it a bubble. Um, so it dropped, but it, like all over, it still increased. They are still very good. They are still very stable. They are one of the big superstars right now. Um, so actually, that was also an interesting time because we had to deal with those news. So having the B2C market and having Klarna having some kind of bad reputation, having to, you know, they had to downsize the company. They had to fire a couple of employees because of the, the economic situation. That impacted us as well. They they associate B2C with B2B a lot. But I would say that actually on the B2B side, it's way more stable. Um, you know, the evaluations are much stricter. We have much more data about the companies. We have their, their financial data back to years. So if anyone had, you know, if anyone has bad evaluation, we will not work with them. That's why I was saying that we will only work with growing companies, not failing ones. Mm -hmm. We don't want to you know, uh, <laughs> directly pull them out of the trouble. It's not going to be this financing solution. That's probably a loan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really interesting that overall the, the entire system is, is pulling companies forward on both sides, on both the merchant side and both the, both the buyer side. And overall it's helping the economy to be more liquid and grow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I, I mean, um, the problem is also that right now we are still struggling. We are not, we have not recovered fully, right? Or do you think we are now fine? We are okay. We are back on track and everything's fine. Because I saw travel is still hurt pretty bad. Um, other industries are also still struggling right now. Or am I, am I wrong? No, we are struggling on a different level. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I think it's always different problems that come into play. Obviously, during the pandemic, it was the fact that everything had to move online. I think actually it was in a way a good shift. Mm -hmm. So we got used to a lot of things and we reevaluated a lot of things. And, you know, they always say that um, the money is cheap. There are a lot of useless companies <laughs> being founded and, and started. And then there is an economic cleanup when a crisis hits. And I think that happened. But what I see right now is that it's still very difficult to get financing right now. So uh, I've seen several companies who wanted to get investment at the beginning of 2023, Q1, Q2, and they're still negotiating the investment. Um, and I, on the other side, on the investor side, what I see is that uh, they want to allocate money, but they don't see enough 
good projects because especially early stage projects because the pandemic really discouraged people from becoming entrepreneurs uh, and also the legal and financial environment for example in hungary the taxation environment changed that was very discouraging for entrepreneurs and um, and that hit right after the pandemic so for example in hungary the situation is that it's just starting to be back on track i hope that by q1 2024 you know investors and companies still find each other again but uh, but it's a very difficult environment right now so everyone especially in terms of marketing you really have to count with the lowest possible resources um and and you have to come up with uh, you know creative strategies and focus on new new technologies because um because you know just having a huge ad spend is not the way anymore um you have to be smart with money at the moment money is not cheap right now <laughs> No, money is very expensive. It's it's yes. uh, money is expensive. But you you just mentioned that uh, you have to align with the business, right? And you're head of marketing right now at Paspe. So how do you align marketing initiatives with the broader business goals mm-hmm. as a head of marketing? Um. So basically, we have of course the North Star metric in the company. We know what's the main KPI to focus on. And what is going to take us forward? We have a couple of things like, you know, number of deals, financing volume, and and a couple of things that we focus on. And we translate that into marketing. So as I said, in marketing, we are very extremely careful about even allocating human resources only to the things that we that are really necessary. So crucial things. So for example, there is this thing that people think marketing is social media and posting on social media. I really restrict that in the company. <laughs> so we do post, we we spend maybe one hour a week posting. Um, what's actually a better strategy is the, you know, the leaders of the company posting on their personal uh, LinkedIn's and their personal network that works much better at the moment, but we don't have an Instagram. Like why would, why would we need an Instagram? Uh, and at the beginning, there was a campaign by the interns saying like, Hey, let's have an Instagram. It's fun. Let's have a TikTok. It's fun. And I said, okay, like, let's test everything that you think works and let's measure it. So we measured it. We had one person coming from Instagram in a year. So <laughs> we could easily make the decision and say, okay, this is, this is not our channel. It might be a channel for another business, but not for us. Um, so we make decisions like that. Um, we sign up for any idea, but we measure it and, you know, we kill the ideas that don't bring the business. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very... Uh, very, you know, return on investment focused. And I think the other very crucial part is listening to customers and collecting the objections of customers. And because as as I mentioned, as a marketer, you are helping decision making. So it's like you have to be very empathetic with your customers and you have to understand, you know, I see a lot of ego um, sometimes in marketing saying my product is the best and you have to buy it. And, you know, when people eventually don't buy companies are upset, but, uh, but you have to understand what they need. And if they don't need something that you offer, then change what you offer. Uh, <laughs> you have to, you know, you have to, um, actually they say that as a founder, you have to be addicted to building. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that's a really good way of saying that you cannot be addicted to your own product and you cannot be addicted to your own ideas, but you have to be addicted to building something that based on feedback. So we work very closely with sales and we very closely monitor what customers are saying. So for example, we had a cold reach out campaign 
And I read every answer that came back from the reach out campaign and we learned so much. So in terms of positive answers, we knew what were the first questions of customers and in our website and in our communication, we could uh, focus on, you know, answering those things and put it on the forefront of the communication. And when it came to objections, we also started thinking like, okay, this is why they don't want to work with us. How do we tackle that? What do we say in our communication? So I think that's, that's really important to be very close to sales and also very close to product. Obviously these three areas are working very closely together. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and because now you're leading a team, mm -hmm. the marketing uh, unit. So what leadership qualities are essential for driving team performance? Because that's something, you know, th there are TikTok videos, which complain, I have a shitty manager or a, you know, a comp guys, people come for good companies, but they leave because of shitty managers, not, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, you might have seen those videos as well. So what leadership qualities are essential for driving team performance? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you hired someone in because you want to deliver more as a leader, as a marketing leader in your case. Yeah. So as I said, you have to be a teacher and learner. <laughs> so you have to learn and teach it to the others. Uh, there are a lot of trends that everyone needs to keep up with. And when you are busy with your job all day, you might not have the energy to, to, um, you know, to learn more and sit down for a course or read when you're a marketer, you read all day basically, and you're writing all day. So it's very exhausting and you might not have the, the energy to, to dive deep into something that requires, you know, deep thinking. So I think there needs to be space created for this learning experience on, on both ends, both the leadership and 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 uh, the employees and i think that it's very important to delegate so as a manager i am the best at my job if i don't have to do anything <laughs> if if i already delegated everything and i manage the people well and they know what they have to do and they know how uh, how they have to do it they have all the information that they need to get their job done uh, then i'm good so i think uh, delegation is a very big it's a very tough issue. I see that in a lot of companies that leaders are scared to delegate, but, uh, you know, they say also that in a lot of like startups and leadership booths, they say that as a CEO, uh, you have to, uh, always look at things and problems to solve in your company and hire someone who does it better than you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think Benjamin is really good at this, honestly, uh, in our company. Um, and I also, so I try to delegate everything and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see the tasks with the mindset that um, I shouldn't get anything done. I should always think on the strategic level on, on how, what to improve, how to improve, which direction to go. Um, and I think as a leader, you also have to be a very strong decision maker because you are the most informed person in your field uh, in terms of professional knowledge, but also in terms of, you know, cooperating with all the other areas in the company and also in terms of, of historical knowledge. So you have to be uh, the most well-informed decision maker and you have to make those decisions. So you have to practice decision making. I think it's an art. <laughs> it's, it's, it requires a lot of skills and, and, you know, a lot of confidence. And mm -hmm. I also think that you have to be the leader of the brand. So you have to be the, uh, you know, the biggest advocate of the brand. Uh, you have to represent the brand interest and the brand communication. We have a lot of discussions about what language to use. 
So sometimes we change words that we use and then it needs to be used on the product side, on the sales side, on our side. For example, what's really interesting is that we use the word creditor. But who is the creditor in this process? Is it the merchant? Is it Passpay? Who is the creditor? So we had to change the language we use and very purposefully I'm saying merchant. <laughs> so everyone understands who I'm referring to in the process because at the beginning we called them creditors and then I was like, okay, but in a buy now, pay later process, Passpay is also a creditor, so how mm -hmm. do you? So we, we really have to, and actually we have a dictionary for the company. So everyone who joins has to go through this dictionary and practice mm -hmm. talking about this topic. Um, so I would say that as a leader, you are also responsible for, for you know, managing this kind of communication towards the outside, but also internally, so that the communication goes into the right direction. Um, so yeah and of course you have to be very empathetic and very patient and <laughs> and you know you have to sit in this chair thinking that okay i'm a teacher so people will come to me with the same questions maybe 10 times maybe i have to correct them and correct the same thing 10 times mm -hmm. until it gets stuck in their mind and they start applying it and uh and yeah that's that's you know a lot of <laughs> a lot of patience there but i think it's very crucial and this delegation and trusting the people who work for you. And when they make mistakes, handling it as a learning experience, I see that as an issue with a lot of startups, uh, startup teams that I worked with. Interesting. And uh, I just, a word came to my mind, like from <laughs> teacher and student, we call it a, a T-junt, T-dunt, like student, you know, <laughs> dunt part and T-dunt. So let's combine them. But, <laughs> interesting. No, because uh, like, I, I, whenever I'm, I'm, I'm giving advice in product management, I'm like to people, I refer to the movie Kung Fu Panda. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, and I tell them, you don't need to be me, you know, like, mm -hmm. like uh, in the third movie, it goes to the panda, the, the, uh, the, the master says that you don't need to be a copy of Ogwe. You need to be a copy of yourself. And this <laughs> yes. is what I'm telling my team as well, that I, if I know something doesn't mean it's the best way to do it. I know it because that's how I learned to do it. So if you feel I'm doing it wrong, just say, it. I mean, uh, I will listen if there is a better solution. I, I'm always happy to listen. And that's something I've, I've seen a lot of leaders going wrong in that particular thing. They say that if I know this way, it has to work this way. But on the other side, I, I just had, I was talking to a friend of mine and he was complaining that his manager is not mentoring him. He just tells him, yeah, do this task. And then if he does it wrong, says, no, it's not correct. This is what's wrong. You need to fix it. So mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's a good approach because if you were, I was your manager, I would not tell you exactly what to do. If I need to do step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this. Where is the learning? Like, where are you actually building your own decision-making power? Because if I don't give you that decision-making power, you will probably never learn. Like you mentioned also, decision-making, you need to get experience because there is a probability, even as a leader, you might take a wrong decision, right? There's Absolutely. nothing, <laughs> there is no, that Ferrucci is the head of marketing, 100% decisions are correct. <laughs> no, you I'm know? not, I'm not, I'm sometimes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's normal to be wrong. And if it's, yeah. uh, that's what I tell my team also, like, Hey, I if, think, if, yeah, I think it's very important to, to be wrong sometimes. <laughs> And, and let your team bring in new ideas and test them, like I mentioned with Instagram. Uh, but it's also very important to make the strict decision when you are absolutely sure about something. So sometimes, you know, when 
and that's the learning curve I mentioned about consultancy mm -hmm. that you come into startups and you can accelerate their growth by bringing that learning into the company without having them go through it. That's sometimes the case when you work with people who have been around startups or around industry for a shorter time than you did. And sometimes you just know that A is going to result in B and C is going to result in D, then you can just, you know, do, do a, a decision quicker. But when it's something that you haven't tried yet, uh, yet, or it's not proved by data, or it might be that, you know, circumstances like economic situation, for example, changes, and you need to adapt to that, then you have to be wrong sometimes. <laughs> mm, interesting. And what, what, what do you think is the role of technology with, especially now ChatGPT is there, you have more, more tools, especially for AI for marketing, right? So what role do you believe technology plays in evolving marketing strategies or generally, like what do you see happening with the marketing in FinTech? Mm -hmm. Well, in marketing, I've seen a lot of things like, oh my God, OpenAI, ChatGPT will take over our job. But if you really talk to ChatGPT for a while, and we have been talking to ChatGPT since the very beginning, um, its style is very unique. So actually, by now that I've been using ChatGPT a lot, I have a list of words that only ChatGPT uses. You know, everyone has their own personal style. If I think about my friends, sometimes I can come up with signature sentences that they say mm -hmm. or signature words that they always use. Mm -hmm. And likewise, ChatGPT has its own language. And so when someone posts on LinkedIn uh, with ChatGPT, I can immediately bust them <laughs> because I know those words. <laughs> For example, ever evolving. It's sometimes, and because of this, um, you know, when you will only write your copy with ChatGPT, um, everyone knows after some time. So when we get used to ChatGPT and it jumps from early adoption into, into majority of, uh, mm. of, uh, people, uh, using it, they will notice <laughs> what is written with ChatGPT. There was also this, uh, news in the, but Google that it's going to start recognizing when a text is written by ChatGPT, and it's not that difficult. Even me as a human, I can recognize it. So I don't think it's replacing anything. However, the research capability of ChatGPT, so telling ChatGPT like, okay, pull up the most recent statistics about X, Y, Z, or give me five ideas on how to rephrase this. So it, it, it really helps research and ideation, mm -hmm. but it's not creative in any way. So. Mm -hmm. So I would say that we use ChatGPT to brainstorm uh, and to help our thinking process. For example, sometimes I'm really tired that my brain will not create, um, you know, text or copy in such a, I don't know, collected and put, well put together way. Then ChatGPT is really my my help in that. Um, but for a lot of research and automation tasks and you know text generation it's good but there has to be a human reviewing that so mm -hmm. i don't think it's killing copywriting uh or, or any business at the moment but it's definitely um helping us to to get our jobs done quicker mm -hmm. uh, i think there is a really good balance in it um mm -hmm. i don't feel like it's, it's threatening <laughs> mm -hmm. um you know and chat gpt makes mistakes and in the industry such as fintech there is no space for mistakes that's true. So, and, and also ChatGPT doesn't always have the, you have to give ChatGPT a lot of context. Um, but what I really like about the ChatGPT4 is that they have this, uh, you can build your own GPTs. So you can, you know, like create a new style for a ChatGPT, but it's, 
And we actually did that. So we, we collected a lot of sales emails uh, from the company and, and created a GPT for it. And we said, okay, this is how we talk with our clients. Can you try to talk like that? <laughs> Works more or less, but not perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, it's very important to start using it because right now learning ChatGPT will, will shoot you to the moon compared to your competitors. Uh, if you think about it, I don't exactly know what percentage of the population uses ChatGPT on the daily for their work, but there is just so much that you can automate with it. And um, for example, for lead research and, and this kind of things and prospecting, we have been doing a lot of manual research and it was, you know, so-called monkey work. So there is just, you know, like research the company, look up their data, do this, do that decide which industry they are, decide which if they are B2B or B2C. Now, couple of minutes, huge saving of resources. And then we can invest the resources into reviewing the copies that ChatGPT created for the leads mm -hmm. and check if, if it's the best copy, how can we improve it, check the, the language. Um, but, you know, we, we saved resources. It didn't replace the job itself. So I would say that's, that's very important that you know, if you really want to be ahead of the competition, learn how to implement ChatGPT into your operations right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, because you're also coming towards an end, looking forward, what emerging trends do you see shaping the future of marketing mm -hmm. or maybe fintech marketing in general? I think open banking in Europe is very important. And um, I think it's such a big advantage that... Um, banks are required to open up their databases to third party providers and, and the PSD2 regulation is extremely important. And I think even compared to other parts of the world, that is going to give us a really big head start in terms of fintech innovation in the area. So, but what I see is that banks have a hard time <laughs> implementing it perfectly. And, you know, there is also the, the getting a PSD2 license takes a long time it takes years right now so becoming a third party provider is is challenging but i think that the the people who are already working on open banking solutions it's going to be amazing so i think that's the most most important thing in the european union right now and i'm very much looking forward to see how you know the united states is going to adapt to that for example where there are a lot of more banks there are states with different regulations and and how they are going to get that because uh, you know, the fact that we have open, open banking in Europe and, and they came up with this system of, you know, sharing even consumer data with the consumer's approval. Um, I think that's a huge head start for us. And that's that's the most uh, important uh, innovation right now. Even we are using open banking in Passpay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And what would you, if you were to advise someone who is trying to enter fintech marketing, what would be the one advice you would give them? Um, I would say, you know, always look at the companies who already made it. So for example, I learned a lot from Revolut and Revolut's marketing team. Uh, it's funny. I had interviews with them. Um, and actually we even organized a conference where they attended as, as guests. And they were telling me that when the product is good enough, you really don't need to spend that much on advertising it and the product is going to pull the marketing. So Basically, Revolut in the first years didn't even spend much on ads. They were, you know, uh, it was word of mouth. It was the referral program. It was the, the media presence. It was the partnerships. And um, I think it's very important to, to look at things that already worked in the market. For 
companies that have a similar market to yours and they have similar deal sizes to yours, uh, they became big and you, you're not going to invent very new things in marketing anymore, uh, except if, you know, a new technology comes in. So it's always wise to you look at what works for others and not, not necessarily your competitors and copying your competitors, but look at, look back at all brands. How did they do it? Because there, there was a lot of creativity in FinTech and there was a lot of amazing applications uh, and find the best solution. Uh, just try to like brainstorm based on, on how others did it. Uh, it's really going to help. Interesting. Interesting. So, so for example, referring to the Revolut example, um, but I heard Revolut doing it this way and not focusing on paid advertising, but more like organic ways. It made me think, and that's something that we applied to in past pay. Currently the ad spend is zero. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and we are, we are successful and we are growing. So. No, that's nice. That's nice. That's, that's true. And uh, getting inspired from other people is, is important. <laughs> other companies is important because sometimes, I mean, uh, like these companies also share information a lot. Like, uh, <clears throat> I was at the conferences before where I saw some up was telling about how they promoted their product and so on and how they were challenging the normal POS systems. But cool, interesting. So this has been very insightful. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for sharing your experiences with us about uh, expertise with us. And if there's something you would like to say as a closing statement for our audience and listeners. I think we should talk about marketing in FinTech more. So I actually Googled it and checked some content on YouTube when, you know, I tried to brainstorm or try to find new ideas. It's not very talked about. And I think fintech is huge. The market is huge. There is a lot of knowledge, but I think we just don't talk enough about it. So I'm very glad that you came up with this topic and thank you for this conversation as well, because I think we need to talk more about this. Yes, we do. We do. Fintech is still something not many people. Firstly, when you tell banks or fintech, people take a step back. Uh, it's like uh, health tech also, like people yeah. are scared complicated. about it. <laughs> it's complicated and people, if to, they don't understand, they will get scared. So um, yes. <clears throat> I, I do have some more guests coming up who are from FinTech. So it, it's really cool. Uh, and I'm again, very thankful. So to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the executives. If you found this episode valuable, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your network. Until next time, this is Majid signing off.